Hello, and welcome to Down to Sally's Cove, a collection of stories about Newfoundland and Labrador by the late El Emanuel and read by me, Anthony Berger. I'm the editor of my mother's writings about the history and rich culture of the places and people she knew and loved. Many of these stories she read on local and national radio in the 1940s to 1970s. This penultimate episode about El Emanuel's friends and neighbors is a series of brief vignettes of some other colorful older men around Bombay. To Ella, they were more of my favorite uncles. Uncle Steve said, I'm well over 90, but I don't suppose you'd believe it. I can hear as well as you, and I can see a good sight better than you, seeing as you wear his glasses. Yes, my dear, times have been tough here in Crawley Cove, what they call Curzon Village nowadays, but we got a good now. With this old age pension, tis wonderful. You can go and live where you like and pay your board. You don't have to put up with nobody you don't like, just because they're related and got to look after you when you stops working. We got it nice here with me son and four generations under one roof. Now not many can say that. And now we can drive to Cornerbrook and be back the same day. I minds when I first went there, I couldn't get used to no cow manure on the roads. We got our own sitting room, and when there's a racket on, we can shut the door and be quiet. We bought a television once, but we sent it back, because all we could get on Sundays was dogs yelping and youngsters dancing and screeching. Never no nice singing or services. But radio now, yesterday we had a wonderful church service on that. Winters, we used to keep the twelve days of Christmas, and you'd get some licking if you worked in them days. We had dances and parties and cruised around, wherever there was an accordion. One time we were having a set, going the length of our house, and one feller came down hard and went right through the kitchen floor. The old Waterloo stove broke abroad, and the oven went in the hole after him. Nobody got mad, though, because it was Christmas. And here is how Uncle Steve invented a paid job to ward off hunger. Once I minds, we weren't long married, and, and come fall, we didn't have much in the house to eat, and there was no work. Feller next door, he didn't have anything to eat or drink, and he had a big family. Times were real bad, and I was getting desperate. So you know what I done? I went up in the hills there in the gulch, one pitch dark night, black as the devil's boot. I drove ten big horses over the old wooden bridge. Of course, I almost lost me life when the bridge collapsed under us. But me and the man next door, we got enough work out of fixing the bridge to feed us all winter. I dare say I'll go out and set a few rabbit snares by and by when me hand gets better from straining of it helping the feller dig his potatoes the other day. That was Uncle Steve, as fine a man as any. Uncle Jim has a feeling of responsibility towards his family of twenty or so cats. Around one of them days, I'll call them to me and name all the new ones. Now there's Peck, always in trouble, and Baby Blue Eyes, just look at E, and Fluff, and old Tom, father of them all. Me woman said if I died before she did, she was going to kill all me twenty cats and put them in me coffin. That wonderful fright St. Patty would get, wouldn't he? Now Jim was born in Lancelou and was taken to Forteau as a baby. He had not been back there for thirty years. Had he stayed in Labrador, Jim would have had a place of dignity and importance, with his family house full of furniture and his fish store full of gear. But he came to live in his wife's village, where he had nothing, not even friends. And although he'd been a successful fisherman and lighthouse keeper on the rock of Belle Isle in the Straits, 
He now had to keep his family going by doing odd jobs for neighbors, between jigging, gardening, and cutting firewood. Once he complained to an insistent employer, I wish it would come to snow and fill her in from Grossmorn to Picatinny Reef, and then my lard you wouldn't be able to get at me. Jim can make snowshoes and fashion elegant sealskin boots, and lately his skills have been in demand from people rediscovering the joy of snowshoeing and the glorious comfort of skin boots. How much this means to him can be seen by the briskness of his stride as he goes through the village, greeting everyone. Too deaf for the burden of casual talk, Jim says, If I didn't have me cats to talk to, I'd go out of me mind. He's too old to walk the hills and too tired to roam the mountains for ptarmigan and rabbit, so he finds warmth, love, and a reason for living in the animal world. Uncle William, well into his eighties, had just visited me. He was on his way home to Trout River and dropped in for a cup of tea. I'm some pleased to see you, Uncle Willie, I told him. Yes, my dear, I had to be sure you was snug and warm. You a lone woman, I'll be yourself up here. What you doing with your time? Well, I'm writing down where we all came from. Your family is from Devon, I know. Yes, I'll set me grandmother. And off he went. Me grandmother, oh my, she was a handsome, lovely woman, and everybody loved her. When me grandfather came out first, he went, he went to Bay of Islands with Baird, the man he was buying salmon for, and they went ashore to a house of people belonging to our crowd from Devon. Anyhow, there was a baby in the cradle, and grandfather rocked her and sang to her. Next time he went back, many years later, he married her. Now, isn't that a wonderful good story? They came down to Trout River, and that's where they bided. When father grew up, he got some land, and he settled down and reared all of us, eight or nine of us home to one time. We had wonderful beasts then, them times. Once we had twenty-nine horned cattle and two oxen. They was all of nine hundred pounds, I'm sure. One time we were taking them up over the cliffs to pasture, and one of the young fellers drove me finest beast over the cliff and killed her. Well, I was that mortified, I cried. Anyhow, I went home and got me boat and went around to get the carcass, and to some starmy. Time I was finished, I was nearly drowned. Next day I had the shivers, but I went out on the beach to mend me net, and then I got it. I shivered and shook and couldn't get warm anyhow. Me brother went up to get the doctor, and he fifteen miles away. But when he heard twas me was sick, came right on. And there I was under all the quilts we had, shivering myself to pieces. Well, he told me sister he thought I was gone, but seeing twas me, he had to do everything in the world for me. So they wrapped me in hot bread poultices all over, and I lay in that bread I don't know how long. By and by I got better, though me skin was burned through with them poultices. Twas six months before I'd done a tap, but I've been good ever since. The man who sang at the Newport Folk Festival, Arthur Nicole, told me my father was a Jersey man. He came out here to settle, and, and we've been here ever since. There was five brothers of us, and we all worked together, fishing and cutting wood and tending on the gardens, though mostly the women did that. I dare say I can mind all the songs I ever heard sung. Oh, the time we had when we went to the States, Mrs. Walters and me, to that place where they do all the singing, Newport. All kinds of people were there, and me and she got right up on the platform and sung to them all. I can't sing as well now, of course, as I could then, but I dare say I'll sing you about the wreck of the Ethy down long shore. You ever heard tell of that one? I heard lots of songs when I was fishing with me father on Labrador, and I can remember them all. 
People used to come from all parts of the island, and when we were done fishing or the day was bad, we'd go to work and sing to each other. And that's how the songs got round. None of me other brothers can sing a song, only me, and often we goes down to Mrs. Walters for a sing-song. She learned lots of hers on the Labrador, too. Them times, girls used to go along with their fathers to do the cooking for the crew, and sometimes they'd come and sing with us when their work was done. Mrs. Walters' mother was a wonderful fine singer, and I've heard tell that when she was alone with the children and her husband, she used to keep them awake all hours for company, and she'd sing to them. Of course, they'd have naps in the day to make up for that. But when she'd sing them sad songs, she'd have the youngsters crying and bawling, and then she'd have to sing a funny one. Though, come to think of it, there aren't many of those. There aren't many jobs Taylor Parsons can't turn his hand to, but the job he likes best is the one that takes him into the mountains. Once a mining crowd come out here wanting to go up on the Gregory Plateau, he said. They asked me the way, but I told them, I won't let you go up there alone. Suppose a fog comes in, you could get lost in no time tall. So I went with them, and sure enough, a fog came in. But I knew that country like the back of me hand, so I was going up along the brook, feeling my way, when one man behind me called me to stop. He said an older feller was way behind, and we ought to wait. So we did, and by and by up he comes, puffing and blowing, and he said to me, Well, when you're over forty, you won't find this working so easy. And I said, Well, sir, I'm fifty-nine me next birthday. Taylor could do an ordinary day's work, and then walk into the plateau, or if it was winter, snowshoe, make a fire in the cabin for his employers, cook a meal, bed them down, and put everything to rights before he slept. He had forgotten nothing that he heard from prospectors, mining engineers, and promoters. He's sure there is millions of copper deep in the Gregory Plateau, but he doesn't expect to live long enough to see it mined. Just as well, for Taylor ambles through the unspoiled woods looking for signs of caribou and moose, occasionally bagging a ptarmigan and telling yarns. Many's the time I've seen a steamer come in the middle of the night, anchor off the cove and send the mail ashore in a lifeboat, seas beating in, rain coming down, maybe high winds, and I'd have to put on me clothes and haul the mail sack into the house, cause we ran the post office then. And then the wife and me would put on the kitchen fire and dry out the letters in the oven. The wife used to get that anxious, especially when the old age pension checks came every three months or so, and about $25 each in case the salt water had washed off the names. "'Twas awful sometimes, women coming home from hospital and babies too, and we'd have to get them ashore somehow, on our backs if they weren't too big, and seas coming in over our long rubbers and running down our legs. No wonder that when we finally got the road in, we all went crazy buying chrome tables and dining room suites and all those kind of things, some different from lugging stuff in on your back from the lifeboats. But you know, I went over to the East Coast once, and I didn't like it one bit. All closed in like, and you couldn't see the water, not like here, where I can sit in me kitchen and watch the breakers roll in. Uncle Albert was a great talker. He had the most stunning combinations of profane and sacred words it's ever been my privilege to hear. Nobody else had the imagination and wit to think them up. I remember one day when we passed a less-than-handsome specimen of humanity— and Uncle Albert said, My, isn't he ugly? I wouldn't want to walk over his face with me bare feet. Another time he solemnly told us that he had a gun so powerful that one night he took a shot at the moon and knocked a goddamn great spall off it. 
Don't you youngsters swim off my wharf, he would bellow. I don't want you all chewed up by sharks. But there aren't any sharks round here, one child shouted back. Who told you that, he barked. Me father, came the answer. And when Uncle Albert saw it was the minister's daughter who spoke, he paused, then yelled, Well, the cod out there is as big as sharks, and just as dangerous, my dear. When I told him that I was going to get my own boat soon, Uncle Al said, That minds me of something I got to tell you. Whenever I hear about a woman getting a boat, I thinks about that Scotch woman we had here t'other year. She was determined she was going to find work for all the poor fishermen who couldn't make a living. So one day she comes up to me and says, Do you know anyone around here who could make a tin dory? You must be making a mistake, ma'am, says I, because you couldn't make no tin dory you could stand up in, much less go fishing in. Oh, no, she said, a tin dory. Maybe you people haven't heard about latest things down here. Well, I couldn't see the point of tin when we got wood, so I said, maybe we're not up to date. And anyway, who told you about them tin dories? Well, she said, it was one of the politicians she goes around with. Ha, oh, well, says I, politicians, they'll tell you anything, especially if they's the liberal kind. Oh, no, she said, he was serious. And he said, if we could make tin dories down here next winter, we could sell them to the fellers in Corner Brook. I knowed enough not to argue with her no more. But the next time I saw that politician, I asked him, Can you sell tin dories in Cornerbrook? And he said, Oh my, you could even sell twelve. And then there was the time Albert was down to Lomond with a full load of lumber on his truck headed for Deer Lake, and I'd lost the clutch out of my car. Now, Albert, I said, how about you towing me to Deer Lake? No, my dear, he replied, I can't tow you with this full load of lumber, but I can push you up the hills and you go as far as you can on your own. Albert, I said, you're crazy. But I got in my car and ran down Barter's Hill and so far up the other side as I could, and then he'd push me up the rest. And when we got to the garage in Deer Lake, the water was pouring off my face. Why, he asked, are you too hot? No, Albert, just scared to death. But we made it, didn't we? I'm not too stupid, I suppose. No, Uncle Albert, you're not stupid at all. Everyone's friend, Uncle Sam, died suddenly of a heart attack. It feels as if some of the cement holding us together as a village has gone. Sam sitting in the cool September sun on a lobster crate behind John Jellicoe's shed. Quiet voice, his big forefinger shaking at me in emphasis. Once I asked him why he was so happy and singing as he worked. He replied, sure, this is the first time I've seen this day. When they were taking him to the hospital, his wife jammed his old cap on his head and he said, Oh my, what will St. Peter say when he sees me coming in his cap? Later, lying on the stretcher being carried down the lane, he looked up at the sky at one bright star and said, That's where I'll be soon, up there looking down. And within the hour he was dead. These were some of the wondrous old men in and around Bombay whom I grew to admire and love. That was me, Anthony Berger, reading a story by the late Ella Manuel from the podcast series Down to Sally's Cove. This was recorded in the studios of VOBB, the Voice of Bombay, community radio in the heart of Grossmore National Park in western Newfoundland. Recording engineer and sound editor was Gary Wilton. Background music from Coffee in the Cove, written and played by David Berger. Together with a biography of my mother, 
These and other stories are available in book form entitled No Place for a Woman, The Life and Newfoundland Stories of El Emanuel, published in 2020 by Breakwater Books, St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. Thanks for listening and tune in to the next episode for Ella's brief excursion into the feline world.